In my experience, conversations are best had with a glass of whiskey. Join me, Alan Kogan, as I engage in meaningful discussions while enjoying a glass of my favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. We have an awesome guest on our new setup, and uh, Sean Lowry, obviously, uh, podcast host, entrepreneur, has his own business. I'm going I'm to talk to him about all the stuff. I want him to tell me who he is, but I want to first congratulate him on being on the Kogan Conversation as the first official Woo! guest. I don't know, with my new setup, with my whiskey shelf and my wingbat chair feeling all fancy. So, No way. Welcome. First official guest? Yeah. That's an absolute honor. And yeah, in your honor, I went to the store to get whiskey just for the show. Turns out it's scotch, but it still says whiskey on it. But uh, here's my other question I have for you. I have, I got some ice and I got this little cup here. Like what's the best way I should, I should drink it. So, well, so first thing, uh, scotch is whiskey. Okay. Scotch is just a type of whiskey. So whiskey uh, encompasses bourbon, Tennessee whiskey, scotch, Irish whiskey, it's just a different type of whiskey. It just means okay. that it's distilled in Scotland. Okay. So, all right. That's good um, but yeah. And the, the weird thing too is whiskey is actually spelled differently. It's missing the E in Scotland. So if you look uh, at the bottle, it should, it's. Yeah, there's no E. Yeah. Uh, okay. I definitely learned something. And I think you found me for my show where I also drink and talk about stuff, right? Drinking yeah. real rich. And uh, yeah, I usually am like a beer drinker. I'll drink whatever, but I'm learning. I'm learning. So should I pour it over ice? Do you think that's the best way to drink it? I would try first. And I'll, I'll walk you through what I tell everyone who's, who's trying whiskey. Okay. Pour it neat, neat first, no ice. And just have a sip. Get, get your mouth uh, acclimated to the burn of the alcohol. And after you have that initial burn, then go back for another sip and just see if you could kind of taste the flavors of it. And if you like it, stay with it. If not, add some ice to it. I'm going to say no ice. All right. I like it. I like it. I like it. I can always add it if I need to. But uh, yeah, mm, it's pretty good. I, it's pretty good. I, so I decided to go with a bourbon today. I have a it's old elk uh, bourbon and it's it basically just tastes like maple syrup and it's amazing. So <laughs> I, I figured you, like, you, uh, like, you swish it around in your mouth and like enjoy it. And yeah. And, and as you become more of an expert, you probably start to like appreciate the flavors. Is that right? Yeah, it's weird. It's like uh, it's like a sommelier for wine, but for whiskey, and I become snobbish in kind of a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a cool hobby, and um, yes, do you ever try to make it? Well, actually, you know, it's funny. Uh, obviously, you've met Grant, our producer, and him and I have yeah. actually discussed uh, down the road if this ever goes anywhere. Uh, this is just a passion project podcast for fun, but it'd be kind of cool to have our own brand and make our own whiskey and do something. Maybe. Uh, uh, Move down south and have our own warehouse and just make some craft <laughs> craft spirits. Yeah, that would be amazing. And you you already have the branding going for it. You could already yep. build the audience, and that could be the way to monetize your your passion project. Where are you located now? So I moved. I just recently moved from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to Fairfax, Virginia. Fairfax, Virginia. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I got a I got a job out here doing social science research in the D.C. area. So it's this is where I'm staying for now. Cool. Yeah. I've I've uh, I've heard good things about both places. Milwaukee, I used to live in Chicago, and we would always go there for the Milwaukee Fest, and it was like bratwurst and rides, and it was pretty cool. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so tell me tell me about yourself because I, I I'm gonna be 100 percent transparent. I randomly stumbled across a sponsored ad of you on Facebook, 
Yeah. And and I was like, who is this guy? He's got this little setup. And of course, because I, I probably because the algorithm saw that I started a podcast and was liking yep. podcast things. So you popped up and I've been, you know, watching some of your stuff and your drink and grow rich stuff that you have. Uh, it's I, You do such a great job, man. And I realized that you have more behind the scenes of air action entrepreneur. This podcast is just kind of a secondary thing for you. So tell Absolutely. me about yourself. Tell me about the business venture that you're on and and, and what's what's the goal and, and, you know, what's the point yeah. of everything you're doing? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, I like to enjoy every day, but I am 100%. I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. I love business. And I started in my mom's basement selling t-shirts and all this stuff. Eventually now I have 16 employees. Business is called United Monograms. It sells girls' personalized clothing. And a lot of our audience is actually in the South. So I'm sure some people in Virginia are wearing monograms. It's for girls. How we came across it was a long story. Basically, I found a good path. We were selling different kinds of t-shirts. We were selling like American pride t-shirts on this site called $15 tees. And then we were selling that. And then I was selling uh, these like Notre Dame football shirts because that's my favorite team. And sure. that got shut, that got shut down for copyright infringement. And I learned to love this business model of, of selling products online and then distributing it to the customers. And my girlfriend got involved, my now wife, I recently got married about a, a month and a half ago. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. Thanks, thanks. We've, we've been together for a long time. And she found this monogram thing, which is mostly for girls. So she does all the style. And I had to kind of do the business side. And uh, I absolutely love all my employees. The business is going great. It's growing. We're actually getting, we're in a 3,500 square foot building now that we're renting. And I just got approved. Actually, today I got the official loan approval from the SBA uh, for like a 22,000 square foot building. So we're going to be moving the business to a huge building, hiring more people, and it's going great. And uh, so that is how I spend most of my time, building the business, worrying about the logistics, the operations, getting all the shirts, printed, shipped, and all that. Uh, and now the podcasting, it's a, little <laughs> bit of my, it's, a, it's a little bit of my passion project. I love having conversations like this. I love talking about business, but I also just love talking about the world, events. I just like talking and, 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 and interacting with people. Yeah, And uh, I don't have an exact answer for why I started doing my podcast, why I started putting out content. I just felt it in my gut. I just thought, I think I'm boring my uh, then fiance just by all the stuff I'm talking about all the time. I actually moved to Charleston, South Carolina from Philly about five or six years ago. And I did it because I honestly wanted to kind of move away from all my friends and family so I could just focus on business. And that's what I did for five years, build the business up. And so I don't have like uh, a lot of like friends and family around where I am. And that kind of helps me with the mindset of uh, just put myself out there. So the podcast has developed. It's been, uh, first it was just me. Then we've had a bunch of great guests on. I'm up to episode 70. And then in addition, I've hired my man Brandon to produce the podcast and also just come up with other ideas for content, uh, like the show Drink and Grow Rich, which love it. It's so much fun because one, I get to drink on Friday. And talk, yes. which is awesome. Kind of like this show, which cheers, yep. by the way. Yes, cheers. And two, my favorite book, Think and Grow Rich. It changed my life. Uh, most amazing book. And Drink and Grow Rich rhymes with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. And, and we wanted to practice doing like a live uh, interaction with like the audience. And the show's been born and it's, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I'm doing great 
in business and that's growing. And as far as the podcast team, it's going pretty well. I mean, it's, it's hard to build up an audience from the, from the very beginning. And the one thing I've learned from a lot of people is the key is consistency. So I said from the very beginning, I'm doing this for a hundred weeks, put myself out there every day and see where it goes. And I've definitely, uh, you know, got more Instagram followers than I thought I would. And, uh, some had some podcasts that had tons of views and also had some podcasts and Instagram, uh, YouTube videos that didn't have a lot of views, but I don't care. I'm just having fun with it. And, uh, that's basically where I'm at. <laughs> well, that that's awesome. It's, it's funny. Cause I was, I was just recently watching an old episode of yours. You were talking to someone, a younger kid, uh, back in March about, uh, I was at future millionaires. Is that the channel? Yes. I and, was on his show. Yeah. Uh, yes. I'll just give him a plug quick, but, um, yeah. uh, he, he was talking about e-commerce and, and, and you had kind of delved into the kind of the SEO of working and finding the, the right niche to, to make yourself, you know, gaining followers on Instagram and social media and stuff and how the algorithms had changed over the years on Facebook and Twitter. And it's funny because first of all, I, I've worked in nonprofits for the last five or six years. Um, I've never been a business minded person. Uh, money has never been that big of a, a priority for me other than just to make ends meet. Would I love to make money or handle a fist? Of course, but I'd rather be in the social science aspect, trying to push donate donors and, uh, people who have the resources to the right ideas and the right ideologies and, and, you know, stuff like that. But so the podcast, I'd love to just have it where I, at least I'm breaking even and maybe making some side hustle. <laughs> but I've noticed that starting this podcast is a real chore. Um, I mean, 100%. if I want to, if I want to get followers, I I'm, I'm trying to learn all the algorithms of Instagram and Facebook. We're trying to figure out like we have a video, uh, uh putting out on Facebook and YouTube. And it's like, should we just focus on YouTube? Is it, what's the better way to do it? I don't know. It's, it's kind of fun because it's a challenge. So I listening to you talk about that. It was like, Oh yeah. man, he's speaking to me. <laughs> it's an absolute, it's an absolute challenge. And, uh, SEO means search engine optimization. And that is just kind of a different thing, but ultimately Google's algorithm for search engine optimization in general. And this relates back to the, what we're talking about. You can do as many little tricks as you want. You can try to pack your website with words that the search engine finds. Ultimately Google's so smart they're going to find the best website for the person searching. So you can't really trick the algorithm that much. The best strategy is to like be the best search result. And that's for like a product or service or a website. Now, now on, on Facebook and Instagram, that is where I do a lot of paid ads for the business. And you said you saw me on a paid ad. Like I shouldn't, it's like, uh, I should not be spending money on my, on my podcast on Facebook. I should not be. It's like every, I'm like, I should turn that off for my business. I know how to run Facebook ads. I've built my business off it. And I, and since I have the Facebook page, I'm like, well, maybe I could run some ads. I know how to do it. And I want to grow the podcast. And, uh, I mean, it, it got me here to talking with you, right? Like, you know, it does reach it's, it's, it's not inauthentic because if you are spending money and it's just putting you in front of people who like you, who mm -hmm. wouldn't have seen you otherwise. In that case, it's just a, a tool. Um, but ultimately, you can have the most perfect podcast titles and search uh, thoughts and, and research and marketing efforts. But ultimately, you just got to be consistent and you got to be, you got to connect with, a, with an audience. You have to be good. And that takes time. So yes. 
it takes yeah. time. There's there's no magic no magic bean. Well, and Grant and I have been t- discussing since we we started this the the Kogan conversation was just a uh, like three years ago. Him and I were in my parents' basement talking about. Like, hey, Alan likes to talk about politics and has opinions about stuff, and I'm I'm well versed. I think I have a good voice for just having just a, you know as far as audio, and I like to speak a lot. Um, but is it really that cool to have another podcast where it's just a political opinion? So we figured, is there a way we can have this backdrop, of this aesthetic of hey, let's sit down, let's have a disarming conversation about whatever the hell we want to talk about, and let's share a glass of whiskey or a beer or whatever, and just. Just, just talk about whatever. So I, I've come up, like I interviewed Spike Lee, or uh, Spike Lee, not Spike Lee, Spike Cohen. I was going to say, what? <sighs> no, Spike Spike Cohen. He was a libertarian vice presidential uh, candidate. Okay. And, this, and this, this, this round? Yeah. Joe, Joe Jorgensen's uh, vice president? Yeah, yeah. And he- right. I, di- I didn't know that name, but that's all. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. So he, he came on and, and it was like, I kind of shot my shot, right? And it's like- I, I'm not really that big of a name. I want, I, I'd love to get there at some point. I have my own personal research that I want to get published at some point. I'm, I'm working my way. I have a master's in education, so I'm trying to, you know, fill out that portfolio. But in the meantime, yeah, just in a way to build my own confidence and my public speaking skills and my just understanding technology, it's like by the grace of, of whatever, you and I are here talking. And I, I love that aspect of this podcast. That's the whole yeah. point. That's so cool. And yeah, I want to get to some of that other stuff, but uh, like there's two, there's two ways to do it as far as if your goal is to gain attention. One is to go really specific niche and maybe do every single episode just about politics. Now that specific field is pretty crowded. Right. Uh, And then, or you could just, you could do a podcast on all 1990s Rugrats episodes fans, and you could get all the fans of people who still love that show or something, right? You can niche the other, and that is a more immediate results probably. The other strategy, and this is kind of what I'm doing, and I think kind of what you're doing in a way, is to start a show and just be yourself. Yep. Just be, just be yourself. Now that is going to take much more time because people don't know you. But if you're committed to it, that's the funner, um, the more fun, and the easier route is to just be yourself. Then it's not stressful to do your podcast. It's not a job to be like, all right, what else can I talk about about Rugrats? Or what else can I talk about about veganism? Or So uh, I think you're doing a great thing. And you have the, and you have the whiskey element where that is like the, the recognition. Like the, the whiskey is your first glance, first thought. And then you are the are the – or the second thing, and then if people like both, then that is so that's kind of the route you're going, right? Just being yourself and uh, having the whiskey conversation, and yep. uh, and you're in it for the long haul. Well, yeah. So Grant and I put a uh, our our parameter that we were putting on or a metric was we're doing this until we're not having fun anymore, and we're having fun. We're having a blast. That's so, awesome. That's yeah, awesome. I, that's, well, that's 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 not the most specific goal because I said a hundred episodes, and there's been some weeks <laughs> I wasn't having fun, uh, but that's a good rule. If you're not having fun, then who cares? What's the point? Right, and, and I, it, I mean, go go ahead. I was gonna say the audience will smell that too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I and it's funny because I I I don't know if you went on the website at all, but I I completely went into the I like did. creative. Uh, overhaul, like just, I'm going to design everything. I, I've taught myself Adobe Illustrator, just been having fun and yes. uh, learning, learning. That's awesome. Yeah. But 
I decided I told I told some friends I'm like you know we have a Patreon just because you know let's set it up who knows and yeah. uh, Printify print on demand which I know you're familiar with I yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I just decided you know what I'm gonna have a couple of the de- designs that I've made up and slap it on some shirts and I'm just gonna put it on there and if it doesn't sell anything right now I'm not gonna focus on that marketing right now I'm just gonna focus on getting this built but it's there and it looks cool and hopefully I can start focusing on getting that and selling some stuff just to at least break even on the podcast right because. Right. It costs money to host a website and mm-hmm. do all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, but yeah, and that makes sense. And that's and that's that's the like as somebody who how many how many weeks in have you been doing this? So this episode between you and I will be episode twenty four, I believe. So twenty four weeks. Twenty four weeks. All right, that's that's kind of longer like than I was thinking based upon what you were saying. I mean, because a lot of times there is that fun stage where you're setting things up and then it hits the, and this happens, I think, to a lot of business people and podcasters. And then it hits a point where like, all right, I got my store, I got my intro. I got, and then it's like, then it gets to the uh, part where it's all right. I really need to, it's past that fun stage. And, right. uh, and that's where some of like this, I got to stick it out a little bit part comes into it. Um, but I say that, but I've still been having so much fun. But so, tell me about you being a social sciences person. What is explain that? Because that's super fascinating. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I conduct social science research for a social uh, science research. Yeah, okay, so think what's that? Like, yeah, <laughs> so it's like think social studies back in school. Yeah, uh, any, anything involving like understanding. Uh, either uh, quantitatively the data side of like uh, discrimination or uh, any kind of like legal rights or political stuff like that, or the qualitative side of it where it's like you want to learn about uh, teacher morale and student achievement. So you have to go in and interview mm. interview teachers, interview students, and learn the actual ob- ob- observable ethnographic information on that. Oh, my God. That sounds so fun. <laughs> I'm serious. That's like I, it's it's diving deep into not just one person's mind, but the mind of a community and how those minds yes. like affect each other. Yes, oh, that's so fun. Yeah, it's like taking taking an issue that you see in in society and uh, kind of putting your blinders up to the political. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, my phone just my phone just made a noise. Sorry. Did did Siri want to talk? Siri, I think Siri was listening, eavesdropping. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I'm no, listening. but like putting, putting your political blinders up and, you know, the, whether the right, left, center, whatever, forget about that. You want to look at the actual facts and listen to actual people's stories. And you want to present that in a way that is compelling and shows that uh, a policy or a law or a, an institutional thing that has happened over the course of 40 years or so, uh, affects this populace in a certain way. And, uh, you know, making a compelling argument for why something should change, um, one of the best arguments that, you know, from being from Milwaukee, Milwaukee has a lot of redlining history and, and redlining mm. was essentially uh, telling people who were not white that they could not have housing loans in certain areas because the white people didn't want to have non-white people around them because it lowered property value. Well, okay, well, that's racist and discriminatory, but that has now set up the demography of Milwaukee and the way that the schools work right now in urban Milwaukee to be the way it is because those redlining laws, even though they've been outlawed for 25, 30 years, they, they created a system that bleeds into today. Right. Um, Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I always say like, um, like, 
It, the laws aren't on the books today. But no. Well, not in the same ferocity. There, uh, there are some you could probably read into some certain things or people are, you know. Yeah, but I can totally understand how that could shape the next generation or where the school mm-hmm. districts are and all that stuff. So that's, that's, that's fascinating. And then um, like, so then your job, you said you work for a, a nonprofit. Like uh, yep. how does that, how do you do that research? How do you like, how do you have a job from it? What are the, what is the nonprofit's objective and like, how do they justify hiring people and how's that work? Yeah. So I work for a public interest law firm. Uh, they okay. are, pro- yeah, they're primarily focusing on litigation. So at the, at the Supreme court level. So obviously being here in DC, that's a lot with there's, I think yeah. they have four, 14 Supreme court wins over the last 30 years. Um, so they're pretty successful. Uh, the strategic research department, which I'm a part of works with legal policy and works with the litigators to say, Hey, we have this litigation effort, or we have this legislative effort to try to move the needle on a law that we know is unjust or is, is anti individual liberty or personal freedoms or freedom of speech. So how do we give them research or give a report or try to find some data that shows that this is a real problem to sell to the voters or the, the, mm-hmm. the legislature? The legislators in that state or that county or that city or the federal government to say this is a problem and if you don't fix this problem we're going to sue you and we do sue them and then we have the report to back it up to the public as wow. far as a pr yeah that's kind of cool. again again that sounds fun and very cool uh, who funds it it's just all donors any anybody cold donors. calls and yeah and that's always like uh probably could be a potentially a touchy subject right if some Special interest is, is I don't know, you know, Washington, D.C., politics, like if some special interest group spends a lot of money, some rich guy who has some uh, motive to get someone yep. like you to do some of his dirty work. I would, assume, I, would, I, would, I would hope that you're thinking like, no, we're just trying to do the, what's the best thing. But what would you do if some crazy uh, billionaire with bad <laughs> intentions started funding your uh, organization? Well, yeah, that's the thing is that like, I mean – you can you can look at that and say that their money defines who we are, or you can say, "Well, just take their money, and, and it doesn't really matter because we're doing it, and you know who cares." Uh, but that being said, we were a name drop by a senator during the confirmation hearing for the most recent uh, Supreme Court justice, um, nice. in a very negative way. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, we're publicity is bad publicity. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that's a good question, though. It's an ethical dilemma. And I, I mean, you're never going to find we, – we consider ourselves nonpartisan, but you're never going to find uh, any agency that does either research or litigation or whatever or legislative work that is going to be strictly nonpartisan. They're always going to have some type of agenda or angle that they're coming from. So it's kind of difficult, especially right now because What's I mean, yours? everything is my, – my partisanship? Yeah. Libertarian. Er- libertarian i think that might be kind of what i am but like does your does your organization have a uh do they do they say that do they say we're for one side or the other side or is it more like ingrained in it yeah well i I would say they, they they consider themselves part of the liberty movement um individual liberty property rights economic freedom, um, like you as a business to be able to do what you need to do to make money without government infringement or red tape or bureaucracy or all that stuff. Um, but the problem with that is there's a lot of caveats because we don't just say, 
1000% hands off. There needs to be at least some kind of community understanding that, you know, Sean Lowry can't just start selling meth to children because he wants them his money. Um, That's bullshit. You're taking away my freedoms. <laughs> Obviously, and, and of course. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would consider they, they, they don't subscribe or, or support the Libertarian Party. Um, but they also don't support or not support the Democrats or the Republicans. It's more so whoever we can find common ground with to fix a problem like an infringement upon the Constitution, which should be something we all can agree upon, uh, then we work with them and get things done. Okay. All right. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm starting to like sense your philosophy a little bit, like a libertarian, like, uh, like, can I ask who you might have voted for in this election? Is that a, is that a <laughs> t- touchy subject? Is that something to ask? You have any, like, what's your any opinions on it? Well, yeah. So very timely, right? Uh, yeah, of course. Just 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 for context's sake, uh, you and I were recording this, so we don't know the results of the election, um, and this will be coming out this coming Monday. So maybe we will over the weekend. I don't know. I feel like um, we know. I feel like Biden won. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. We just don't have yeah. the actual certification. Not official. Cons- Not official. Yeah. Um, I voted for Joe Jorgensen. You voted for Joe Jorgensen. Okay. Yeah. I, I, vote, I voted for Trump. I, okay. I, I consider myself an independent, like truly. And I also, my main thought on politics is since I'm so, like a business guy and, I'm, and my thing I care about the most is like positivity and happiness and just controlling my own circumstances – I don't care who wins. I just I control my own destiny, not somebody sitting in a chair in Washington. Like that right. doesn't it might affect my tax rate by a certain percentage, but is that going to be so important that I'm not doing what I do? Cuz I'm not, I'm not going to no. I'm not going to stop doing what I do because of a a tax rate change policy and and I can vote, I can protest, like I I just can control what I can control. And what I can control is myself, my own life, my own happiness, the people around me. And I've been getting used to the idea of, of Biden being the president. And dude, I mean, I like the guy. He's cool. He's 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 a funny guy. He's no malarkey. I'm gonna start saying no mal- no malarkey. <laughs> and I'm maybe well, maybe get some aviators. Yeah, there you go. Um no, it's funny because I, I have been – and this is, this is where you're going to hear the real libertarian philosophy from me. From yeah, me, I, li- I like this. Is that I, I – the way that I've studied history, the way that I, I, I've read from our founders, their intention was never to have a federal government in Washington, D.C. affect the day-to-day of, of mine and yours life. Um, so the fact that we're putting so much cultural celebritization value on the presidency right now, I mean, everyone that I know, including myself, just because I want to know what's going on, we're all glued to our TVs and our phones, refreshing Google every five minutes to see who uh, is getting more votes in Georgia or Florida or whatever. And the fact that that's happening. And on top of that, both parties have this existential crisis. If the other one wins, Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I'm like I'm, I'm just, guilty. I'm guilty. This is my first time actually thinking about this today, which is nice because I was looking at it last night. I'm of course guilty of checking the updates, uh, but I love that you said that the founders didn't have that intention. I mean, in some things, 
the things that they did were perfect, but they definitely didn't accomplish that goal because people have tied their mental health to the outcome of this election, which is right. not that important to them on a on an actual practical level, but right. on a level of their their team, their side, their emotions, the social media. It's the most important thing to their being. And it's like if my team wins, I'm happy. I can celebrate. If my team loses, I need to start freaking out or figuring out what went wrong or calling people names. And uh, it's, I wonder if the founders knowing everything that has progressed throughout the time, if they would be happy with how it is, everyone very interested in, in the country and the politics, or if they would be disappointed in how we're so into it. What do you think the founders would think about how it is now? I think they'd be happy that everyone's literate and well-read and taking a part in the system but they'd be so upset with how partisan we've become because of it. Because mm -hmm. they never wanted George Washington himself on his farewell address chastised parties and partisanship and said that we have to keep ourselves going from different factions because, I mean, we could have different ideas, of course, but I mean, I, I'm sure you've, you've probably sat in a room with a bunch of employees and had a, just a brain thrashing uh, of, of all these ideas. And what's the best way to have the best idea? You come into the room, you have 99 bad or okay ideas, and then from that, you can flush out a really good idea. That's not happening yes. in Congress right now. That doesn't yes. happen with Democrats or Republicans. It's if, if the Democrats win, it's going to be yeah. obstructionism, the, you know, back and the forth. Pro the problem is with that, if you have 12 people in a room all coming up with the best ideas, the way that that works is that everyone has to be fair-minded. If one person there is attached to their idea because it's theirs – it ruins yep. their perspe uh, per perspective of finding the best idea. And like it's – I guess it's, I don't know, ego or something like that where it starts to blind them because they really like their idea because they thought of it and then someone else has this idea that challenges your idea. And I know I sh should like think both ideas are equal, but I thought of this one. So – it's mine and I kind of am going to defend it. And then you start defending it more and defending it more. And then all of a sudden you have partisanship in a way. Yeah. Well, and on top of that too, is you have issues like right now that are hot button issues that we don't need to get into, but just for an example, you know, uh, abortion and gay yeah. rights and whatnot, the, yeah. the real hot, the real hot button issues. The hot ones. Yeah. Guns. The, yeah. That it's, it's real. It's, it's tough to talk about because people are so emotionally connected, which is understandable, but it's it's funny because they are on they're incapable of having a nuanced conversation about the roots of the issues rather than the actual right. issue itself. Right. It's like why are those things happening at the rate they are? Like, uh, I mean, for example, abortion. Well, how about yeah. we have just just better discussions about each other's health and responsibility and et cetera. Yeah. And but at the same time, the government doesn't have a say in that. We should, as a community, focus right. on helping people be better people. Right. I, I get why abortion is such a, a hot button issue because it's so like emotional just down to like the core. But like yep. it's really not that – it's something that you can have a conversation about I guess. I mean it's, it's – it doesn't apply to everyone. <laughs> like it's not right. something that – it's not really that important for most people as far as most people. I mean you get married, you decide to have a kid, you have a kid. Like it's very rare in the average life that a situation comes up where that topic is important to a person. So it's like right. funny how people care so much. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's it's tough, and I that's my biggest thing for for like this podcast. It's kind of what I'm, I yearn for. I, I got so entrenched in having Facebook comment thread wars with some friends that <laughs> are so dug in deep to what they want to believe, and it's like I'm not even saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that you are incapable of at least stepping in the shoes of the other side and understanding with an empathetic right. lens. Right. You know. So you know what? S- screw the comment thread. Come on the podcast. Let's have a whiskey. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm basically, so I'm basically pro-choice and it's basically for one reason. And this, and this is where me just like being raw and not a million percent thinking like all my thoughts through, this is just what I think. I'm pro-choice because I think about someone in 10th grade getting their first boyfriend or girlfriend and making a mistake. And then they're, the girl's pregnant. She's in 10th grade. And then she has to like be pregnant throughout the whole school year. And like, she's already dealing with her own, like growing up, issues and social pressures of school now you're gonna force her to be pregnant throughout the whole year that's like just it's just it's just kind of awkward and that's like that exact situation is kind of my my root of that thought and that's it otherwise it's like i don't know man i don't know so i just i I just want everyone everyone to be happy no no i it's funny (laughs) because i'm like personally on that notion i'm with you but on ideology I'm only pro-choice because I don't think the government itself has any right per the constitution to say a damn thing about abortion. Right. Right. So like personally, my own, like I would make that argument to you and I as friends talking, but if I'm going to go to like the legislator or make an argument as far as the constitution is concerned, it's a right to privacy and the government has no business being making decisions that make no sense for the government to make. Right. I, yeah, I always get confused by it because whatever I said, what I said about pro-choice, but if somebody wants to do it, I guess they could go to a private business and get it done and Mm -hmm. no, no government money involved. That's what's wrong with that. Right. Uh, And I, and I think a lot of people don't think how this conversation goes to like funding dollars and stuff like that, which I don't know a lot of the details about, but that's part of it. Right. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you, you have to have I mean, we kind of go back to circle back to special interests, right? Yeah. Special, special interests have a vested uh, interest in in funding people that will make their argument in in uh, whether it be litigation or legislative or whatever that ingrains that as an actual thing. And then over the course of the years, they have PR, social media, whatever that just bombards you with guilt or you know yeah, guilt for either side, you know. Killing helpless babies, and I'm just like, oh, God, this topic is all right. I get why this topic is so hot button now. It's like, right, but uh, yeah, that's a, that's like a good example. Like, it's funny, but um, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I can tell from your vibe, the libertarian, the respecting the the laws, and the looking at people's viewpoints, and just take a deep breath, relax. Like, that's so important, and not enough people do it. And yep. People judge, people judge, and that's why I always like to just. I, I like talking about politics and stuff like that, but I usually my antidotes or my reasonings are something more like emotional or practical rather than I'm not an expert on like the the legalities and all that. I just like to bring it from the perspective of uh yeah, well imagine feeling like this or feeling like this. And I just I want everyone to be happy. And a lot of people, um, you know, they talk about the the, the policies and I, I'm not an expert on that stuff, but uh it's interesting well, it, stuff. That what I actually watched a clip today. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't watch it religiously, but I watch it once in a while just to just to have a different perspective. But uh, the View with I love Joy the View Bayer. actually. I love the View, yeah. and I like it for the same reason. It's like I want to see what these guys are thinking. 
Yeah, yeah. But uh, Sonny Austin, who is a former uh, prosecutor, and she knows the law very well, but she's also outwardly liberal. She's very democratic. She's very pro-Biden. What? And I don't care. But she had made the notion today that uh, she could not ever imagine people voting for Trump after all the things that have happened that she doesn't agree with. It's like you're turning a blind eye to him being a misogynist, et cetera, et cetera, and therefore all of you are racist. And someone actually piped in and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we can call a spade a spade when he says something that we don't agree with, but to right. call half the country uh, just a racist or misogynist because they support Trump, that's that's not how you get a, you're not gonna have a conversation to move the needle in a way yeah. that's gonna, you know? And, and that's kind of why I like the view because you get the perspective of those people. She's she, in my opinion, is the worst one on the show because she yep. actually comes from a she comes from a place of uh, like intelligence and a credible background, and she says stuff like that. Joy, yep. she doesn't give a shit. Joy, I <laughs> right. I love and respect. She's funny. She's just saying whatever she cares. She cares about hating Trump, and there's things she cares about. Secondly, is a one line joke. Like yep. so, she's not, and she's a comedian, so she she's ridiculous, but. <laughs> But I like her more than than Sunny because she's coming from a place of humor and like Sunny tries to be more serious about it. Yep. Um, but they're yep. all they're all kind of crazy on there, and they definitely I like to watch the show because it's cl- short clips and you get the perspective of like, all right, what are like the these people thinking about? Like the I guess like the media or like the just the crazy opinion that some people agree with section that's like the quickest way to get it is the view that's kind of why i like it yeah um but yeah and what what's your what's your diagnosis for the next year after this election what where do you see things going do you think do you think this all kind of smooths over and everyone just kind of forgets it and gives up or do you think this is going to be the hardest fought situation for the united states since like everyone's memeing everyone's memeing about the civil war right now so where do you where do you see us one of the reasons I wanted Trump to win, besides for the fact that I do kind of like his personality. I'm a business guy. I'm a competitor. Like he needed to be a little nicer and he lost because he was too much of a dick. Yeah. But I, one of the reasons I like him is because he's a fighter. I He's going to fight. He's going to fight. And it's. I think it's going to be a bad look. And here's what I want. I want him to fight as hard as he can for the next week. That's it though. Once there's an official ruling, I want him to do a very presidential hand down of the office and do it with class. Now, every time I've ever wanted him to do something with class, he never does it. (laughs) So I don't expect that. And I just think we have to accept the results. And I think he's going to lose. I think Biden's going to win. I wasn't expecting that. I'm not too thrilled about it because I was kind of thinking we'd get four more years of Trump and it'd be just this legendary, crazy era. And then we can have a whole new political mindset in four years, like a fresh, new, new, new issues. Like I like an Andrew Yang or a Mark Cuban yeah. or like more like technology, like a whole fresh start. To the, yeah. And now in was- four years, it's going to be a standard, boring old politician or running again and it's going to take away half the people thinking fresh start wise. So I, I think it's going to be fine. I think a year from now, everything's going to be normal and Biden will be a fine president and there'll still be the political people talking about politics. And I'm sad. I'm personally sad about Trump going off into the distance, but he's not going to go off into the distance. I don't know what he's going to do. He's got Twitter. Yeah. He's going to, I, 
I, one of the reasons I like him is because I can't tell him what to do. And a lot of times I might think he should do something. He does something else. And I'm like, Ooh, that was actually better than what I was thinking that you should do. And when the George Floyd situation happened, that was the one time where I, my instincts were telling me, this is your moment to make an, I have a dream style speech. Sure. Show compassion. Please show compassion here. This is the perfect time to unite America. I mean, some people will just say he had a speechwriter and he's just reading words. That's when you know you did something right, when you said all the right words. Yep. I wanted him to do so bad attempt and I have a dream speech and he didn't. He buckled down into the one side and I was devastated. I hated him for like three weeks then. And I was like, we'll see when the election is. And as time passed, I was like, all right, I do like this guy doing all the rallies. 17 rallies the last four days, like that energy, that that effort. Like I love that stuff, but- um, I think I want him to try to fight to win, see what he can do. Once he loses, lose gracefully, and then kind of go off into the distance with a little bit of grace. And you can still have your bravado like on Twitter, maybe do some speeches, maybe try to start a news network. But like generally, I want him to go off, do it with grace, and have the country be able to move on. That's what I want to happen. And that is what I think will happen if I had to say what I think. But yeah. also, I'm not, but also, I don't know. He probably well, will just fight it for an asshole, like an asshole for a year. Well, who knows? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I always wondered myself, like, you know, would it be better for just the social fabric for our mental health or the health of the country for Trump to lose uh, the presidency by constitution? So he wins another term and he can't run again. So maybe it's better to get rid of Trump and Trumpism. Yes that way rather than having this hard fought i mean look look if you look at the electoral so college you, right you now, mean like he wins again he does his eight years and then and then he loses and then he can't ever be a part he, of the conversation yeah. again because it's over then he's gone that's right. what i wanted like i i would have liked that and I, I and i don't say that as a support of trump or his policies or anything i just right, say that right. as like we're already here so right right is is putting biden in is that really going to change anything are we going to all feel better about ourselves now or is this going to just be like Four more years of the Republicans saying no to Biden, and then and then what? What's going right. to happen in twenty twenty four? Because I and then he's got to put and then he's got to put together some type of campaign to run again in twenty twenty four. Yeah, and it, yeah, that's 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 annoying. You like Andrew Yang? I love Andrew Yang. I love I Andrew love Yang Andrew. too. Everyone I talk to in a conversation like this loves Andrew Yang. Yep. Like I was so surprised when he did not get more votes in the primaries for the democratic primaries. I was just astounded that he didn't get more votes. And I think I got to say, I give the democratic establishment some credit because, Hey, they picked Biden and they just basically won. So like, yep. Hey, you won. You did something right that I wasn't seeing. But, um, that's, I feel like that's the next the era, new issues, new things to think about. Like these old guns, abortion, those are old era, like basic political hot button issues. I'm looking forward to the new stuff, like robots, automation, cyber warfare, technology, whatever those things are. Like I want the country's mind to, to move on to the next level. And, and when we're stuck in modern day establishment politics, it's like kind of old now. Now this just got us at least another four years of it. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, how... Do you think Andrew Yang is, 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 I mean, I know it's a real problem, but do you think it's to the, the problem to the degree that he was espousing it for automation? Do you think that's going to be as detrimental to the workforce in the next 10 years? 
honestly, my one my one side of me says, I hope so, because I will be a benefit of that as somebody who's running the factory. Yeah. Uh, and as so as someone who's running the factory now, I will say, I need people. Like, <laughs> I'm a small business. I, I I can't imagine ten years from now machines running my entire company. But I would do it if I could. But it's going to happen eventually. I mean, I got rid of one job from automation. It was like someone making files for the monograms. I got a computer to do it. I hope it's as close as he says from the business standpoint. And maybe this is just me not being a good enough or informed enough or big enough businessman to see it coming. I, In my world, I don't necessarily see it in 10 years. But I know that I want to do it and I know that it's mass produced and and things happen fast now. Things happen so fast now that 10 years is not what it used to be. So imagine 20 years from now, definitely I can imagine it being mass available to business owners to have certain types of automation that aren't available. And if if he's ahead of it, then they can help the country handle that problem well because that is a problem. That is a problem. Human beings need jobs. They need... They need uh, uh, to feel uh, a feeling of, I go to my job every day and I earn for my family. I have a place in society. That is a human instinct that people will always need because we're biologically wired to have that need. And I think that's healthy. So whether it's 10 years, 30 years, we need to figure out what we're going to do with people when automation comes. Now, there was the industrial revolution that got rid of a lot of things and everything just adjusted and people and we figured out more jobs for people. I think mm-hmm. naturally just the market will figure out where to put these people, but there will be some pain in between for individual people. No one's really talking about that. The politicians now are trying to protect those jobs. And that's probably the right move in a short-term sense. Do you think do you think it's up it's it's incumbent upon business owners to be the most generous they can be or do you think cuz I like I th- for me I, I don't I don't for me I feel like a lot of the, and I'm not making this argument, but the, a lot of the left and the Democrats say that for, as far as policy goes, that businesses will not be good people on their own. So therefore, we have to make sure there's like unions and government enforcement to make sure things happen. And I understand that because obviously there are greedy assholes who exist to take advantage of people. But my question would be, how do we create a culture and a society from the ground level up to make it so that businesses and business owners are just better human beings in general Dude, who care I about love, their community. I love that question. I love that this conversation. Like you talked about I like what you, you think and then like um uh like fundamental beliefs like my uh, my fundamental belief as a business owner, somebody who's an entrepreneur, business is my core. My answer on a fundamental level, just like you mentioned the constitution for a political level is mm-hmm. that you have one job and it's to make the most money you can for your company and your shareholders. Like that mm-hmm. is it. So anything else, it has to fit into that, into that. So when you said, do you believe it's the business owner's job to take care of the people? My fundamental answer is no. And now as I'm saying that out loud and I've thought about this before, obviously there's a problem there. Like, yes, I care about my people and I, I'm a nice guy. I care about my people. I do. I just had an employee come in for a meeting today. She's making 14 an hour. She's not doing the greatest. She's pretty good at her job, and I have all the numbers. She's an embroiderer. I need them to do between 14 to 18 an hour. They get a bonus if they're over 18. She's at like 13.5, and she's she's improving. 
and she asked for like more of a raise and like I gave it to her. I gave her 15 an hour. And I think it's just because I'm a good person and, and we're moving buildings. She's probably not going to move with us. She was saying this job's hard for her because she's more of a, a social person. And this job is more of like a not talking to people job. And I said, well, I told you that from the beginning. Basically, it's the situation. And, and I ended up giving her the 15 hour. I And I said, I should just do 14.50, but I gave her 15 because I'm, I'm a good person. And I look at this person as a person who's, I understand the things she's dealing with. And ultimately, is that 50 cents an hour going to like, change my whole bottom line? No. Um, now in a bigger company that 50 cents an hour can change a bottom line. It really can. It really can. So like I am constantly conflicted with the dealing with the people. And then also if I could treat her like a complete, she left, okay. She, this exact person left her old company because she didn't feel appreciated at her old company. She said they didn't treat her like shit. She says, I feel appreciated here. And I felt great when she said that because when I, when I, want my people to feel appreciated from my fundamental standpoint. The reason I do that is because I want them to like the company. So they work harder for the company are loyal to the company and don't leave the company. It's actually right. not because I'm a good person from the fundamental side, the fundamental business reason for treating your employees well is to have a better company, not to treat people better. Right. So they kind of go together. And if that's the market figuring it out, then that's the market figured it out. But I also just said I would replace them all with robots right away. Now, if the <laughs> robots come, I wouldn't just fire them and put them on the streets tomorrow, but I would talk to them, tell them we got a couple months left. We're going to be replacing this. What do you want to do? Probably more likely that you're going to be looking for something else. I'll continue to pay you while you look for something else. It would look like that, but I would be replacing them with robots. So I don't know. That's my fundamentals are you have to make sure the company's number one most important thing, making money. You couldn't do it without the people. In order to have the people do well, you have to take care of them. And that meshes together. You bring robots yep. into it. It takes the people out. And then once I do the kindness of giving them two weeks, maybe doing some severance, but what I'm doing the kindest way to get rid of them, but then I'm getting rid of them. So that's cool that I treated them kindly to get rid of them, but now they're gone. So now they're off on their own. And that's not right. my problem. And that's a problem for the people. Right. So I don't know if I answered the question there, but like that is my mentality. I'm a kind person. I want people to take care of people from the goodness of my heart. But ultimately, they have to provide value in return to me or else I'm going to, in the kindest way possible, put them on the street. And at that point, the street has to take over, which could be maybe the government or whatever. And that's where the conversation comes in. Can you trust the businesses? I don't know. What should I do when the robots come and they can replace these people's jobs? What should I do? Well, well, and I mean, I, I would argue that as a business, as a private business, you have the right to make the best decision to make the most money for you and your family and your your fiduciary responsibility. But to, if you have that responsibility as a larger company, um, but I, I think I think you kind of touched on it. Uh, you, the biggest investment or the best investment any company can make is in their employees. Period. Uh, I used to work in customer service and I did a little bit of account management for a large printing company in the Midwest. I was there for eight years through high school, college, and then uh, finally like full, full time. I was working like 31 hours just to be under that full time uh, by the law. Um, but I was working a lot of hours and doing a lot of stuff for, for this company. And I worked my way up and I was doing a lot of account management and project management. And it was great. I could have, you know, went into sales had I not wanted to go the nonprofit social science route. But everyone there was just, they were like zombies who 
hated going to work every day. They complained about everything. It was the, their favorite thing to do during, during the lunch hour was to complain about managers and whatnot. And I, I was palpable. You could see that managers just did not give a shit about helping or listening to people because there were just these little tiny logistical things that you could tweak and make better. But those add up and compound. And now you have a company full of employees that don't care. And they're wondering why they're bleeding and they're in the red. It's like, okay. So they're bleeding and their company is not succeeding. Is that accurate? It was at that time. Yeah. I'm not, it wasn't. So like that is the result of not taking care of the people. And if that is the naturalness taking care of it, then I love that because Brennan, the one thing with employees complaining and stuff that they don't understand is how hard business is, but they're just, what do you expect your, uh, like lowest wage worker to understand all the nuances of what you do? No, you need to be the bigger person and take care of them. So it's so important to me to cultivate a culture of, and, and I've, and I've gone in the past two years from three, four employees to now 16 and there's levels. I think they say every time a business uh, triples, it's a new era for the business. So three people and then nine people and then 27 people. Those are when the new uh, clicks or cultures like take the biggest thing. So I'm right in between the second and the third one. And I'm proud of how we went from three to nine because I cared about every single person. Now we're at 16. We'll be at 27 soon. I'm going to cultivate a culture of making sure that I hire managers who care about the people. I actually only hired one high-salaried manager. He worked for me for seven months, and I fired him. He wasn't doing a good enough job communicating to the people, and I did not see the the culture going forward of of him doing a good job of managing people. So I got rid of him because I, I'm committed to building a culture where the managers understand the people, and, and, it's gonna, and, and I bet you I can do that up to 27. And then – and I'm already aware of it and cognizant of it and working on it because I know how important it is. Because the worst thing in a company is for the people on the bottom level to be complaining about their managers. That is death. That is poison to a company. It is yes. poison to a company on the bottom line for money. And it's poison to a company's morale, which relates to the bottom line on money. It's poison. People complaining about the company is absolute poison. It's the worst thing that can happen because it spreads. And it's two people have been there for two years. Third person is their first day. They go to lunch together. They hear these two people that have been there for two years saying, right. oh, this manager is such an asshole. And then that, all of a sudden that's in their head because they're not going to defend the company on their second day. They don't know. So now that's part of their thoughts. And then, then the boss says something to them. Hey, could you please do this? And they're thinking in the back of their head, oh, this boss, this asshole, it's a virus that spreads throughout the company hating management. And I've been aware of that the whole time. And I'm very proud of how, how much I care about that because it relates to this conversation about people and all that. And I'm working on getting there from nine to 27. Now, when it goes from 27 to whatever 27 times three is, you know, whatever, 90, whatever, whatever, 80, whatever. That might be a little bit out of my control from my perspective. So that's why I'm taking such importance and building it from this level. And I think that that's a smart attitude that will help me build a successful company that can make money and have happy people. And in, in that case, I am taking responsibility of the people. Yep. Which is what you were talking about. Yeah. Well, and and I think – I mean, maybe, uh, yeah, I guess uh, th I would say that, I don't know if you agree, but I, I would say that building a culture is, is probably more important at some level than building productivity because 
from that culture, you build productivity, you build, it's kind of, I mean, yeah, obviously you want to be, profitable. if you want, if you want culture. So my specific situation is weird because most of my employees right now out of the 16, 14 of them are their jobs kind of are repetitive and boring. They are shippers, printers, embroiders. They stand at the station all day and they do the same job. I get what that is, but I've, I've actually went out of my way to get people who enjoy that get people who love having headphones. I have a couple of people who used to work at Target. They hated talking to people. They just wanted to not be, and it's, that brings a culture of like then people who are kind of weird because all they want to do is put their headphones in. And like now, and, and I've done that. I've done that successfully. My employees are happy because I've picked people who will be happy doing this specific job. And I, it took me a few times to learn that. They don't, they're not the people that have the most bubbly, happy interviews. They're people who are attracted to this one line in the, in the job res, uh, the job where they look for the job and they see it, it says, enjoy wearing your headphones all day and zoning in. The people who have mentioned that in interviews means that I want to hire them because it means that they're going to be good at this specific thing, which isn't right. necessarily the best culture of bubbly, happy, conversational people, but it is a it is a culture and the culture is productivity. And that works as far as everyone being happy every day. Now, as I grow a sales team and a management team, I need those people to be better versed in leadership and human skills. And, and it's, 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 I'm piecing it all together, but I found success at my current level of finding people who like having their headphones in and like just working and being at the station. And that is not a normal thing to like, but I found people who like it and that's created a good culture. So it's like a culture of productivity in a way. Right. And that's, right. and that's kind of spread. And that means that if five people like it, the sixth person that comes in is like, okay, this is how we do here. And it works. It works. Uh, but you gotta be aware of it. Yeah. Well, it so sounds, culture is more important. Culture is important. Yes. Yeah. No, I, it sounds, it sounds so much like to me, like you, I obviously, I mean, you love the business side. You love, obviously who doesn't love making money? Um, and you've been successful at it. So, you know, congrats and kudos to that. That's amazing. But I think why that is, is, is because you enjoy the challenge of building oh, yeah. around people and not, and maybe not just because you love people, but because you love learning people and teaching people and growing people to help you yourself grow. Dude, you you and, need people, no matter yeah. how many robots are, are invented. Understanding the minds of other humans is a skill that will never go away on any level. So like, yes, I love, uh, I love building the business, all elements of it. Some of it is processes and equipment, but ultimately it is people. And that is cool. And the ultimate question that we started with was, do we need the government to make sure that the businesses are taking care of the people or does the government need to take care of the people? And we've, we've dove deep into that. And <laughs> I think you can kind of trust the businesses because the businesses that will thrive will be the businesses that are good at taking care of people. Right. And the businesses that are bigger have obviously portrayed a skill in the management of human beings or else they wouldn't be successful. And just naturally, they're then going to take care of the masses of people and that's less on the government time. Yep. It's just not a guarantee, I guess, because some mastermind evil genius, Bezos, I mean, Amazon – they have a lot of employees, right? A lot of those people. What do you think about uh, like the Amazon employees who try to strike, but then he just brings in a whole new bus of people? 
that's like where it gets to the point where it's like scary for the people, right? Any opinions yeah, well, on I, Amazon? Well, I, I mean, Amazon, God, I, I, I use Amazon all the time. Uh, but again, it's almost like, it's almost a question of monopoly is that is, is there enough room in the market for another Amazon to come out and say, we're going to do this better. Monopoly. You know, I, monopoly. I don't, that, that's like a, is, is monopoly a constitutional issue? Uh, no, there's, there's, uh, there's laws that have been passed per state and also at the federal level that is not, uh, to the constitution, but this is my favorite is, president of all, my favorite president of all time, by trust far, Te- Teddy Roosevelt. Yep. Absolute capitalist, but monopolies are a problem. Yes. And, yes. and if, and if you, if a company can get too powerful, I would love to be in a situation where my company is a monopoly. That'd be awesome. That means I've mastered business. Sure. But that's where the problem comes because if you're so powerful that you're the only person providing products and you're the only person providing jobs, then you can treat people like shit. And that's bad society. And that's why monopolies are bad. Well, and the monopolies are bad more so because the market, like, like we vote on those companies by buying their product. So if hundred percent, a, a true free market should not allow monopolies because I should have the choice to go to another distributor that is like Amazon and say, well, you know, I don't like the way that Jeff Bezos treats his employees, so therefore I'm going to go somewhere else. But if that opportunity is not there, then what do you do? And is it – then you have to ask the question, is it the government's job to come in and, and bust Amazon up in a way that is regulatory but <laughs> in a way that doesn't set a precedent to affect yeah. smaller companies? Yeah, like what? I'm if, sure. I'm sure the government and Amazon have talked about this behind closed oh, yeah. doors. Of course, right? Like, listen, man, we don't want to have to bust you up. Just, just tr- tr- tread lightly. Draw yeah, the line. Obviously, I, I just got something from you in the mail today. Like, <laughs> you know, and they do, and they did. I was actually very surprised, shocked, and interested when they committed to the $15 an hour minimum wage for all their employees. I thought that was a good thing for like the country in a way. But you know what the trade-off was? What was it? So Amazon uh, gives all their employees like, I want to say uh, something like 5% or something in their share their, as, a, as a shareholder. So as an employee, you get part of the shares. It's all profit sharing. And the Amazon took that away and said, fine, here's 15 bucks an hour. I did not know that. So there was a wow. trade-off. And that's the thing is that now this nuanced conversation about the, the minimum wage, well, if a company is only paying you seven fifty, but you get good health care and you get profit mm. sharing and you get commission or whatever, mm. that's it's being lost because at the, at the surface level, it, it's like optically looks bad. But right. Wow. So, so Amazon impressed me with just strictly optics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it worked on me. And I'm even in this world. Like I didn't think <laughs> about it too much. But wow, well, that right. is it's 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 interesting. And I ultimately think I do trust business owners to take care of the people. I think the free market should run the world. But I think the government should kind of just be there, just kind of keep their eye on shit. Just be a watchdog. And and that I think is kind of a libertarian philosophy. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh. Because you you don't. I mean, as a libertarian, and I'm not a card carrying libertarian. I have caveats to a lot of things. But 
like I don't want like businesses to just be able to pour sludge in the river whenever the hell right. they want to. Right. So there there are lines and there are things that we you know, we can make sure we're we're mitigating. But at the same time, I would argue that that culture of business owners and people who should care about like the environment, for example, or, or people and their wages, that should be built from the ground up in a community at the community level. You know, it's it's not Washington. It's not Biden or Trump. Yeah, it shouldn't no. shouldn't matter. It should be, you know, it's tough. I agree. And that's and that's but that is like the American spirit. That is how things should be. Like real humans coming together. Like that's how we're wired and I like that. I like that. That's one of the reasons I like business. And uh, it's it's just so raw and real. And right, rules from the government don't work because people get annoyed by rules. And uh, it's, it's yeah. And it's funny that this election, this election with all the emotions, it seems like sometimes it did actually come down to like some really old school things like the, the the taxes. And I was like, whoa, I remember I was talking to someone about politics and I was like, we're talking about healthcare. We're talking about tax rate. I was like, this is kind of like a normal election. And that's, and that's good. That's healthy. It's, it's healthy to debate intellectually these conversations and the tax rate. That's a healthy country. And I, I feel like we are a healthy country. Yeah. Do you? We just, we just, we just get caught up in the, the weeds of like the optics and the, the, the Trumps and the Bidens and the Hillary's and the Bernie's of the world where it's like, their ideas have become so bombastic and so emotionally driven mm. and so like, I mean, mm. it, it, I've talked to so many conservatives who absolutely love Trump's immigration policy, but in the same breath, they'll say that they absolutely hate the way that he described it and his rhetoric behind it. So my question would be, okay, is is the po- right now is the policy more important or is rhetoric more important because there is kind of a social character of this nation that's kind of what Biden ran on is like the soul of the nation whatever 100% ran on that you know how do and you and sound it, and dude, it worked it worked i mean i think trump has been an amazing president on the policy level for as much as i know and i personally am attracted to the to the character of like the big bold cocky guy funny that's me though i get other everyone else isn't like me and he lost because he was too much of a dick my 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 wife's dad and my mom both voted for trump before and they're suburban white people and they went for biden this time and just because they're just like he's such an asshole and so i guess like the rhetoric element seemed to kind of make the decision this time around it kind of seems like I could be wrong there, but he was too much of a dick. That seems to be what the election is telling us. Do you yeah. agree with that? I do. I think I think Trump. Well, I I, I don't know. I I I want to say half yes, but also the other half of my yes is because of the way he handled coronavirus, which relates and, to him being a dick. Kind of. I, I see. I yeah. personally liked his attitude behind coronavirus. As far as. We have this bad thing happening. Forget about the bad thing. Focus on the positive thing. Like that's how like successful people think. It's like anything that's negative, you immediately erase it from your mind and you move forward with positivity, positivity. I, I see that in him with the coronavirus and I, I was fine with it from me, but I can get how that looks like arrogance and stupidity and just flagrant being a dick, especially for people who are just like, just trying to be safe and not get a disease. Like he did a bad job with the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. Policy-wise, I think probably fine or whatever, but rhetoric-wise, bad. 
And that, I think that lost it for him. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I, I mean, honestly, I think the coronavirus probably would have tanked any presidency because what do you do? <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult to, to handle. And the other side um, is just like, this is easy. We're obviously going to get him on this. Like, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. No, but well, anyway, man. I hey, this this was awesome. I, there's a lot more we have to cover. <laughs> we, we, we've opened <laughs> every. Let, me ask, you, let me ask you one other question about yeah. uh, about politics in this current setting. Um, do you think? Do you trust fully like the vote count? Ooh. Um, do I trust fully? No, 100% no. Do I do I think that there is evidence that there are uh, like the mail-in ballot fraud that Trump is claiming? I don't think there's enough evidence to claim that. Um, I obviously want to have the most, uh, you know, judicious and, and accurate election. But I mean, we're human beings and human beings make mistakes. So I was very surprised that this was the highest turnout of all time. Were you surprised yeah. by that? No. You weren't? I, I talked to some other – I was surprised at that, and then I talked to some other people, and they're like, I'm not surprised by that. And I was like, okay, all right, all right. Maybe I just wasn't really thinking on that level. So you you weren't surprised? No, I, I think this is this, – this election was framed in the most fear-mongering of ways that both sides said if – if Joe Biden wins, he will destroy America. If I mean, Trump was like wins, that last, it was like that. It was like that in 2016 too. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's more though because we've had four years of Trump, so it's easier for the Democrats to say, mm. you know, if you support if you supported Trump in 2016, you re you weren't really sure. You were just thinking that he would be this wrench in the system and whatever. Mm. I understand that, but now you've had four years of seeing who he is, and the Democrats ate that up and said, if you yeah. vote for him, you're a racist, and it's like, whoa. So right. I think both and, sides and it, flocked. And election day was a beautiful day across the country. Gorgeous yeah. weather. And yep. I, I didn't think about that at first. My first thought was, wow, I did not think that uh, there was going to be this many votes. Oh, wow. All these mail-in votes. Oh, wow. A little bit of extra votes cheating. Those were like my initial thoughts. And I don't want to be like some type of conspiracy guy. Like I, that's the last thing I want to be. But those were my first thoughts. So then sure. after talking to some people, I was like, okay, it was a beautiful day. It, what you just said about how important the vote is and okay, maybe I'm not surprised now that the most votes ever. And then was there maybe a little bit of fraud here and there? Sure. But is that changed the case? No, the case was, and that's where I'm at right now. Where I'm at right now is that the results are real and whatever the political reasons you put behind it, Trump was too much of a dick, then that's his fault. And, yep. um, so yeah, I went through that like last night is when I went through that whole like thought process and uh and I've said all along if Biden wins, I'm going to be happy no matter what happens just you control your own you control yourself and you have to be happy and love the country no matter what. And for people who are here's one thing I could say to people who are really one-sided, imagine how much you cheered when Trump won and how much you love the other person feeling down. Okay, now your side's going to lose. Are you going to be like them? Are you going to be a hater? Are you going to be – no, do it with grace. And yes. if both sides do things with grace, that is going to be a healthy country. And I think that's what's going to happen. I, hey, I, I'm with you, but I, I still go back to my original point that I, I said earlier in the, in, the, in the podcast that this should never have mattered as much as it did. The fact that we have made this like our life and our culture is like if if Trump wins or if Biden wins, it's uh, oh my god and mental health and like we have to like get Biden, to a point Biden where, could help make politics not matter that much. 
Right, and that might be a good thing. That might be that a good, might be a good thing. People saw my liking sports more. We might be more interested in space, aliens, and other big <laughs> issues that aren't just politics. And I think that will actually be pretty healthy. Yeah, well, hey, I'm hoping, still hoping for the alien invasion for the end of 2020 to make it the most 2020. <laughs> that would be... <laughs> I'll be so happy if that happened. That'd be so fun to talk about. No one would care about politics then. Right, right. Well, hey, man, this is awesome to talk to you. I, I, I mean... I'm I'm gonna keep listening to your show. Your show's awesome, the Sean Lowry show. Everyone check it out. But uh, I hope we can talk again. I'm I'm game. Hell you yeah. are you are the most down to earth person. I've loved talking to you. You're great. Yeah. I, I I appreciate this. I love talking to you too, man. And this is the first time I've drank uh, something in the whiskey area. I understand it's scotch. <laughs> and uh, dude, I like it. I got a little buzz on right now, but like I'm feeling calm. I'm feeling together. Uh, it's a it's a little bit of a different buzz, and I like it. Good, good. Hey, well, to be to be uh, uh, completely transparent, I used to drink beer. I, I'm from Wisconsin. Beer was my thing. Yeah, yeah. But I've I've since transitioned to whiskey, and if I have one or two beers, I, I can have like eight or nine glasses of whiskey and be fine. Yeah. But if I have a beer or two, for whatever reason, my system's like, whoa, you're drunk now. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So, so you just get used to it. So I'm, yeah. Thank you for helping me uh, extend my alcohol palette <laughs> yes i'm glad to do it <laughs> yeah dude this has been this, I, damn, I can't believe it's been an hour 15 minutes i can't even believe it i just got lost in talking about this cool stuff so that's what it's all about right that's right that's right so awesome. hey man well ch- cheers to you i appreciate it uh hope to talk to you again soon um any parting words for the amazing people outside alan you're the man you stick with this, and I will be honored to say once the uh, this show's huge that I was one of the first guests to come on, drink some whiskey, and uh, you have a new fan, you have a new supporter, you have a new friend, and dude, you're the man. Cheers, man. That's, I it. Appreciate That's all I gotta that. say. <laughs> I, I appreciate <laughs> that, Sean. Cheers, guys. Thank you for joining the Kogan Conversation. Be sure to like, share, and follow us on all social media platforms. This podcast is available in video form on Facebook and YouTube and audio on all platforms where podcasts are supported. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. Just a few bucks a month can really help us grow. Visit us online at www.thekoganconvo.com for more details.